Right, here we go. <laughs> uh, we live in an age of acute conflict around marriage and sexuality. When the whole Me Too hashtag was really in the news, did you know that at exactly the same time as that, the book series Fifty Shades of Grey was topping the bestseller list and it was the biggest grossing film income, uh, the biggest grossing film of that time of the decade. So you, you end up with these two really conflicting things. Everybody talking about sexual abuse and all those sorts of things. And then at the same time, you think, what is going on? Why is Fifty Shades of Grey the best selling book? Andy was at a conference last week and he spoke to a girl called uh, Rachel Gardner, who set up Romance Academy that some people will know. And, um, and what she was saying is that, that millennials, generally people in their 20s now, um, are known as the sensible generation. Did you know why they're called the sensible generation? Because they're having less sex than any other generation before them. But the interesting thing is that it's not necessarily because they're sensible. It's because the rise of that generation has tracked almost directly with the rise of Instagram. And when you track the rise of Instagram, you also track the rise of online pornography. And so it's likely that millennials now are not being sensible and abstaining from sex. It's most likely that they are absolutely saturated with online sex. And increasingly, online pornography is violent, misogynistic, and, inten and intentionally targeting children. That's just what we need to be aware of. There's also probably, I would suggest, a mental health epidemic going, going on amongst a lot of young people, but a lot of older people, for all sorts of reasons. You know, it's never one single thing, is it? But COVID has played a really big part in that, isolating people. But I would suggest to you, and we are going to read the Bible in a minute, by the way, just so you know. I would suggest also that we are being told and forced to believe something that we know is a lie. And we can't cope with it. We can't cope with this sort of like, this thing going on in, inside our heads where we're told to believe something, but we know it is not true. And in a couple of weeks, I'm not to, when we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about transgender, and we have a, a lady called uh, Libby Littlewood who's gonna come in, who, is who has been transgender. She, she, she was a born a woman, she transgendered into being a man. She was very, very sort of like militantly transgender. And then she detransitioned and she's now back to being a woman. We're just going to hear her story. But it's, she's really amazing story of a life totally given to Christ. So we're going to hear some of that story. But I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard the story a, a couple of weeks ago about, and it broke the news a couple of weeks ago, about a sixth form girl who challenged somebody that came into the, her school and was talking about trans ideology. And she said, no, I believe that sex is binary, that what you're born is, that is your sex. I don't know if you, you heard about it, but she was hounded out of her school. Not necessarily by teachers, but by her fellow pupils who just called her transphobic. Now we, and, and then we wonder, why do we live in this moment of acute mental anxiety because we've got all these conflicting things that are going on in our lives. We see divorce that's made easy, that was supposed to be this liberation um, from male domination, but actually we realise now that divorce 
predominantly benefits men. And it doesn't predominantly benefit women in most cases. I just want to read um, a, a quick quote from this book, Live No Lies, by John Mark Comer. It's a really good book. The sexual liberation revolution of the 1960s set in motion a cascade effect. The reversal of long-standing moral consensus around promiscuity, which separated sex from marriage, worked in tandem with the advent of birth control and the legislation of, of abortion, which separated sex from procreation, which moved on to the legislation of no-fault divorce, which turned, into a covenant, which turned a covenant into a contract and separated sex from intimacy and fidelity, then to Tinder and hookup culture, which separated sex from romance and turned it into a way to get your needs met. From there, we moved on to LGBTQI plus revolution, which separated sex from the male-female binary, the current transgender wave, which is an attempt to separate gender from biological sex, and the nascent polyamory movement, an attempt to move beyond two-person relationships. Amid the revolution, questions nobody seemed to be even asking are, is this making us better people? Are we happier people? Are we thriving in a way that we weren't prior to our liberation? There are just some important questions to be asking about marriage. I am not now, by the way, going to do a, like a mini marriage course. You know, and the marriage course, by the way, is really very, very good. If you are married, Jill and I have done the marriage course. We did it a few years ago. But it is a very, very good thing, how to build a marriage. But that is not what I'm going to do today. All I want to do is to look at a biblical model of what marriage is and to reassert something of what the Bible says. I'm aware that within the church there are single people, there are divorced people, there are dating people, there are bereaved people, and there are married people. I'm aware also that marriage is not the answer. You just need to know that. Marriage is not... When Cooley spoke about marriage last week, he was so helpful. <laughs> In fact, somebody else from another church listened to that, and they said, why has nobody ever preached something like that before where you are told that to be single you can be totally and utterly fulfilled? We have some quite good models of people that were single. Jesus probably wouldn't have made it into a leader of many churches because he wasn't married. The Apostle Paul probably wouldn't have made it as a leader in many of our churches because he was single. There's no question that they weren't fulfilled. But there was just this sense of, oh, no, marriage is not the answer. The answer is this, is living a life fulfilled in Christ, whatever our relational status is. That's what we're, our point is. And developing relationships with friends and those people around us that cause us to go deeper and deeper and deeper into Christ. So, that's, that's where we're going to go. The, the plan is that uh, Clive and Debbie Sharp from Islington, they've done a quick video it was always quite good to hear. In fact, the, the testimonies that we heard last week, okay, when uh, Becca shared something about being single and Bruno, uh, Bruno shared something and then Sam from the church in uh, Islington shared something, I just thought, well done, guys, for standing up and saying something that was just... I, I want everybody in the world to see that video. Everybody in the world to see that. Anyway, Clive and Debs are going to show us a quick video in a moment about their marriage. Then we're just going to look at why marriage... And then we're going to look at what does Bible, the marriage look like in the Bible. Um, before we do that, and it is quite important, 
Um, Steve, are you okay if we, yeah, we'll do that, we'll read the Bible passage first, okay. If you've got your Bibles with you, um, just turn please to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to watch this video from Clive and Debbie in a minute. It's just talking about how they were, how they got married and what happened and what their life was like before that. Um, I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter 1. And on here, I've got Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. But I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 first. Verse 26, 7 and 8. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then if we go on to chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, and we'll start reading from verse 15. And this is on the, the screen. Chapter 1. Sorry. That's all right. We've got an American reading Genesis chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Alan can't stop it. Really. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then the Lord God said to him, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. And then go down to verse 20. <laughs> Why don't you just get your fella to come and read it? I don't want it. It might be easier. <laughs> it's, still, it's still going outside. It's got a volume switch on most phones, you know. But anyway. There you go. Um, Let's read verse 18. Then the Lord said to him, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make it a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds in the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with its flesh, and the rib that, made the, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, this is our key verse, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. I just want to talk generally about the idea of marriage. 
and then we will watch this video of Clive and Debs, and then we will look about why marriage. Do you remember that moment when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he called them, he said, you brood of vipers. And then he said this, he said, he said you are just like your, your father, who was the father of all lies. Do you remember that bit? And he, he described Satan like this. He said, Satan is the father of lies. I want to suggest to you that the primary way that Satan wants to corrupt you is to get you to believe lies. That is what Satan really wants you to do. And our primary goal, what Jesus wants you to do is to this. He wants you to believe truth over lies. You know, and as charismatics, people who love coming into the presence of God, we love worshipping, sometimes we can define our faith like this. It's about presence, it's about experience, it's about knowing that we are loved. Whereas actually what Jesus will often say to us this. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so this morning, what I really want to do is to, to present this view of what marriage is like because there's so many things that are pressing into us that get us to believe like lies about marriage. And we need to come back to the Bible and, and actually be prepared to submit ourselves. To what does the Bible say about marriage? You know, there's a, a guy called Dallas... Uh, uh, Dallas Willard, and he, he wrote a book called this, The Disappearance of Moral Knowledge. Yeah. And that, that is what we're facing. We don't actually know what is right and wrong anymore because we're told all sorts of things. We're told there's any definition of marriage is okay. Anything, that you, however you want to define it, that is okay. But actually we need to come back and say, the Bible says something different. The Bible actually gives us a really clear blueprint for marriage. Later on, when John talked to those Pharisees, he, uh, Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he said this, If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, so um, are we okay for Clive and Debbie? We'll just get Clive and Debbie up now and we'll see there. It's probably... Well, hello. It's, they're just talking about their history. Well, hello, my name is Clive. My name is Debbie. And you remembered it that time, didn't I you? I did. <laughs> you did. And, uh, yeah, so as I was thinking about um, growing up and getting married, the advice that my parents gave me was, you know, don't, don't get married straight off. My dad didn't get married till he was about 27. And they said, kind of play the field a bit. You know, condoms were fairly new at the time. And they said, you know, just, just try a few. Maybe, maybe live with someone for a while first, but yeah, don't rush into it, you know, leave it until a bit later. And, and I really learned to, to know that that wasn't the best advice at all. And uh, because what I did was um, spent many years with someone I met at school. And yeah, I, I felt that I was in love at the time. And, uh, you know, we spent many years, but, and then two children through it, but inside, I knew that she really wasn't the one for me for life, and uh, um, and and we when it came to problems and that we would fall out, not see eye to eye, and actually we would split up for a time, think we'd got through it, 
and then all of a sudden we'd be back together again and, and kind of wasted many, many years uh, doing that and, and actually hurt, got hurt myself through that. And uh, so that was my early, early time, no commitment. What about you, Deb? How did it work out for you? Well, for me, it was, it was a bit different um, because my parents met when they were young. They got married when they were young. Um, and the way they were together, they talked things through. They spent a lot of time together. And it was just a marriage that I was looking forward to having one day for myself. Um, <clears throat> and I did. I met somebody. We got engaged. Um, we bought a house together, moved in. <clears throat> um, but we hadn't really figured out ways of dealing with our problems. So he got more and more moody and he got violent. And it really wasn't working out too good. So it came to a real, um, real bad end in the end for me. Um, kind yeah. of put me off. Yeah, and you split up then, yeah. So, we did, yeah. yeah. So, so for me, um, yeah, I never wanted to get married. I, I, my mum and, and dad, their, their marriage was, was not good. It was full of trauma after trauma, screaming, shouting, never working anything out really. And, and I just, to be honest, I hated the thought of getting married. I said to myself, that is something I'm never gonna do. Just didn't want, any part of me didn't want it. And, um, but that was until I went to a Christian conference and uh, I heard a couple talk about their married life together and it was totally different where the guy would lay his life down for the wife and want to find out what her, what she wanted out of life, what she wanted out of marriage. And he would do everything he could to fulfill the life that she wanted. And, and then when she said that she would do the same, that she would lay her life down and do everything that she could to fulfill his life and his marriage, uh, I started, I thought, wow, this is something I wanted. Uh, and especially when it came down to sex, that they would have a lot of sex. I thought, yeah, that's, that's cool, man. <laughs> I want to get married. And so, but what about you, Deb? How did that? Yeah, for me, I mean, after coming out of a, a violent relationship, I, um, we haven't never spoken since. I, I decided, you know, I never wanted to have a relationship or even get married. I even went to stay at the convent that I'd done the accounts for for a short while. You stayed um, at the convent? I did. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to become a nun because that was safest. <laughs> yeah, she's a bit like a nun now sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, so that that was us. And um, but then uh, Debbie turned up at work one day as a, a response to an advert I had for a secretary. And uh, yeah, when she walked in, I thought, yeah, she's not my type. Uh, so that's cool, because I just didn't want to know relationship. Uh, I'd have a few years away, four years away from anything like that. And um, But then surprisingly, within a week to two weeks, I knew that Debbie was the right one for me. And uh, yeah, what about you, Deb? How did that work out for you? <laughs> well, <laughs> after accepting the job offer, because I thought, you know, he's safe, he's not my type, um, yeah. I'm okay now, so um, to take the job. But after um, you went on holiday while you was away, I just knew he was the one for me and that one day we was going to get married. Yeah, you knew that if I phoned you up from holiday, yeah. that I was the right one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I did know that bit. 
Yeah, just want to get that bit in. Yeah, <laughs> and he did. Yeah, I did, I did. And I just wanted to talk to her really, and, I, and it was quite surprising. It was just hook, line and sinker. There you go. But uh, <laughs> but then then what we found was that once we got back and we both decided, yeah, it's a good, we, we feel God's calling us to this. Um, it took us about four years to actually get married. And the problem was this, is that every time we got close, there was something about each one of us that we thought, ah, oh, I've seen that before, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, don't want, I don't want to go through that again. So we had times apart while we were engaged. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was a difficult time. And, and basically all the hurts and pains that we'd been through before, we kind of had to work through it, but obviously with God and, and we talked for hours and hours of our night time. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Oh man, got hardly any sleep. As we worked through stuff, but because we'd allowed ourselves to get into relationships beforehand, we had to get rid of all that baggage. And uh, as I say, but, but gradually through, um, um, yeah, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we were able to do that. With God's presence, we were able to do that, and we finally got married four years later, didn't we? And then, and then it became bliss ever since, didn't it? Oh, total bliss! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so really, the first two years was a complete nightmare. Yeah, so we never fudged that one up for people. We tell them, and the reason was this, right? I used to like the toilet seat up and Debbie liked the toilet seat down and when it came to the toothpaste Debbie liked me to squeeze right from the end and I squeeze it from anywhere I didn't put the top on and I didn't think it mattered now I didn't think these things mattered but actually they do <laughs> just, no, just a little bit yeah, yeah, it didn't matter to me but it did you and and so yeah we, we had to work through that and uh, it, it took time uh, and uh, but that was the first two years and and gradually we've we've learned to work things through I've learned a lot more about Debbie and what she wants uh, and she does the same for me uh, we do try our best to lay our lives down for each other and it works that way mm. you know it's not that the woman should admit to the man as some teachings say it's no the woman should admit to submit to the man because the man pays his life down for the woman then it works when both of you are working at it and i've got to say what has it been uh, 23 years now yeah it seems like yesterday doesn't it it does <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is the best thing I think yeah. uh, we both agree that we've ever done it, it gets better as you move on in life you get a lot more easier about things I mean one of the things was when we did get married we both thought we were easy going and <laughs> yeah I'm easy going until you're in there but then you work work things out and, and actually uh, what, what I found happened is that, that Debbie kind of smoothed off my rough edges and I've done that for Debbie and so it's a gradual closeness that comes over time the agape love and I, I couldn't recommend it anymore uh, that for people now uh, getting married is the best thing you can do to the right one and stay single until you meet the right one would you say that Deb? Absolutely definitely yes. Yeah. Amen
All right. Thanks for that, guys. Just like, we love, <laughs> what is it? There's the new verb in there, squoze. Did you see that? That's great. <laughs> we love Clive and Debs. And actually, you know, to be honest, that they have been through some really, really difficult times. Really, in fact, that's how we start, first got involved with them, because they were going through this really difficult time. They've been so open in who they are. What I want to do is just, I want to talk and, and mention four reasons in the Bible why they're, why they're a marriage. Firstly, is this, that so I've heard some people say that, that marriage is just some social construct to make life easier. And it's something that different cultures have invented in different ways to make life easier for different... I just need to say that's nonsense. It says in the Bible, in Genesis 2, verse 21 to 25, and these are the verses that we read, and, and a man shall leave his... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh... And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Uh, and there are loads of different ways that, of people get married, and we've seen so in the, within the church we've seen many different cultures. I always remember James and Ornella. They got married a few years ago. They had, they, I think, they had two weddings. They had one sort of like Congolese wedding, and then they had one English wedding. But it was just extraordinary to go and see the different ways that different cultures got married. We absolutely loved it. But the important thing is that marriage was a really important thing. So I think, firstly, marriage is not just some social construct that's been imposed. God gave it to us. God gave the idea of marriage. The second thing is that marriage is not primarily about my happiness, my companionship, but it's primarily about joining together with somebody that will help you delight in the Lord more. And that is what I found was so helpful when we were talking about singleness last week, that sometimes whatever position God puts you in, and you know, I think every single one of the three people that shared their testimony about being single said, it's helped me to press into God more. I've learned something about knowing more about Jesus because of this. And similarly, marriage is not just that I don't feel lonely, but it's to partner with somebody that will help you press more into knowing more about God. There's all these things about a, a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. When you've got two people coming together to love Jesus, it's powerful. Let me give you another quote from a guy called Christopher Ash from the Gospel Coalition. And he said, and he's basically he's talking about if you have a marriage that is quite insular and looking in on itself, it can be really unhealthy. But if you have a marriage that is looking outwards to serve, then you've got something that is good. He says this, paradoxically, the most secure and happiest marriages are those that look outwards beyond, and he does use the fact, he, he says, beyond their own stifling self-absorption and coupledom. Okay, it's quite harsh. Beyond their own stifling self-absorption and coupledom to the service of God and others in God's world through the love of God and their neighbour. And that's what we really want to be doing, isn't it? It's to be finding relationships where actually they're helping us to serve the Lord more effectively and more openly. So the first, the, um, the first thing is that marriage is God's design. It's not some social construct. The second thing is it's made to help us understand more of God. And the third thing is this, is marriages are a great place for children. I just need to say this, that not all marriages will be blessed with children. 
And for some people, that causes quite a lot of pain. And as a church community, what do we do? We stand with people in their moments of difficulty and pain. And we love them. And we encourage them. And we pray for them. And we pray that God would intervene. That's, that's what God has called us to do. And we're also aware that there are many of us who are part of this church that find themselves as single parents. And, and I just need to let you know, if you are a single parent, you are more welcome in this church than nearly anybody else. And the reason I say that is this, is because I think we know that actually it takes more than one person to raise children. And we want to stand with you. And we want to encourage you. And we want to support you. And we want to cheer you on and do whatever we can. And we want to see all these children just like running around in families and enjoying what it is of something, God's goodness, that he has given us. But we do need to say that there's a biblical pattern that marriage is at the centre of raising children. I think... Jill and I raised uh, three children. And it, at times it nearly sort of like broke. It was hard. It's hard work. But then to do that on your own, well, it's even harder, isn't it? Therefore, we stand with one another. Our prayer is that children are raised. And one of the reasons why you know, marriage is this great place for children is that they, we want to raise children that will love one another and serve the Lord. And we want to have children that actually, you know, we talked about in the Garden of Eden, that we have children who, who come alongside us and then our fellow gardeners. And actually, however you want, whatever your situation, we want to have children that grow up to know what it is to love the Lord Jesus with all of their heart. The fourth reason that I've got in the Bible that why marriage is there is because of intimacy and sex. And... This is where I'm not going to share any deep personal tech. Jill's looking at me. Jill's looking at me with these wide open eyes thinking, don't say anything. <laughs> Maybe one thing. No, 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 I won't. <clears throat> there, there, is no, there is no doubt whatsoever that intimacy and sexual desire is celebrated in the Bible. It is clear. Proverbs, just an example, Proverbs 5, verse 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated with her love. Amen. <laughs> but that, that is, it's in the Bible, but it's saying, no, that, but marriage is the right place for that sexual intimacy. And if you don't really, if you're thinking, well, where, else, where does it say that? You can just look at the seventh commandment in the Bible. It says, do not commit adultery. And it, and it defines it as marriage is the right place for sexual intimacy. And marriage, therefore, as one man and one woman committed to one another for life. We can talk about other things. We can talk about divorce and things at another point. But that is God's ideal. That is God's plan. One woman and one man married together for life. And the Bible guards sexual intimacy. It says, like, these, these are the places where, where sexual intimacy should be. Uh, just when you, we say this, we, we also need to recognize that, that we are all, every single one of us, are flawed human beings. 
If no, no one had any history, none of us would need to be here. We wouldn't. But there'd be no point in coming because we'd be perfect. And we could stand before God and we could just say, yeah, I'm perfect. Everything was sorted. Every single person in this room has some history. And so what we're not doing is saying, oh, shame on you. But what we're saying is, God, you brought us to this place of glorious freedom. And we need to be able to say, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what we aspire to. But God takes us. Jesus died on the cross because he said, this, I want you to be in perfect relationship with me. But we failed. Therefore, God's grace is over us. God's extraordinary grace is over our lives. The seventh commandment says, do not commit adultery. And it defines marriage as the place for sexual intimacy. And therefore, it prohibits pornography, prohibits rape, it prohibits sexual abuse, it prohibits sex between a man and a man, between a woman and a man, between a man and many women, and between a woman and many men. It also prohibits... If you really want to know, go to the details. It prohibits sex between a man or a woman and animals as well. Therefore, it also prohibits things like Pornhub and Tinder and seca- uh, uh, like hookup cultures. All these things that the world is saying, no, these things are okay. Now the Bible come back, comes back and says, no, this is, my, this is my plan for you in marriage. What I'm going to do is move fairly quickly on. What does marriage look like in the Bible? Firstly, you just need to say it's voluntary. There's no sense of, com- of being condemned in the Bible. The Bible actually is very against forced marriage, if you really want to know. If you want to look up in 2 Samuel 3, it's a man and a woman wi- willingly coming together. Secondly, the marriage in the Bible is all about self-sacrifice. It's about not what you can give. And then Clive and Debs were brilliant on that. They're saying, you know, it's about self-sacrifice. It's not about what you can get out of it, but it's about laying your life down. And that is why one of the reasons why I would suggest to you that cohabitation is not a good biblical model. Because often when you would start cohabiting, you would say, okay, a couple would come together, and some, not all the time, but they think, okay, look, we really love each other. Why don't we save the rent and live together first? You know, you, you can do that. But actually, and a lot of the time, you can come together and live together thinking, look, if it doesn't work out, it's fine. We can separate. There's no messy divorce. There's no cost to it. Well, I would suggest to you that you are laying a foundation, not of selfless love, but selfish love. Because if you start living with somebody and you don't like it, you're out. You can go. And the foundations that we lay in our... They're they're so important. And that is why, statistically, if you live together before you're married, you're more likely to separate after you got married. Did you know that? It's because foundation... What you're laying right at the very beginning is you're saying, no, I'm in this for what I can get out of it. But biblical marriage is this. I'm selflessly loving this person. Husbands, it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He died. (laughs) So husbands, uh, if you want to find a husband, you need to find somebody who is willingly going to die for you. Nah, I'm not so sure about that. You're not saying that amen now, Andy, are you? <laughs> yeah, you're saying amen about that Proverbs verse. Yeah, yeah. No, you've got to die for your wife. That's the whole point. The other thing to say about marriage in the Bible is it's public. It's public. It's out there. It's in the open. Intimacy is private, but there is a public nature to getting married. And that is why when you come together, you know, I don't know, in the Church of England, I don't know if you know this, but legally, when you get married, you know the door has to be open. 
You can't close the door. You're not allowed to uh, marry somebody in a church with the door closed. It has to be open. So anybody can come in and see. And the whole point of marriage is this, that you, you're not just your own two little people on your own, your own little island. Now, everybody is involved in it. You know, when somebody gets married in the church, we all pile in. We all eat and we all celebrate and we all want to dance, but we're all in it together with you. And we're praying for you and we're supporting you. And that's another reason why cohabitation is not a good idea. Because what you're doing is you're just saying, to be honest, why don't we just get together? Nobody's involved in it. You're not making promises before anybody else. You're not saying, oh, we're committed and we're going to pray for you. It's just two of you getting together and thinking, oh, well, well, it's going to be easier to do this. And again, you have to say, what are the foundations that you're laying right at the beginning? Lay a foundation. You're going public. This is something you've thought about. This is something you've prayed about. This is something you're really, really committed to. Hands up if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was my hero. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian during the Second World War. He was one of the guys that stood up to the Nazi party. And so what happened is this. They imprisoned him right near the beginning of the war. And they executed him in the last three days of the war. He was a man who was in prison for what he believed about what Jesus had spoken to him about. His niece in 1943 was getting, getting married. And his niece desperately wanted her uncle to preach at her wedding. But guess what? He couldn't. He was in prison. So what Dietrich Bonhoeff did, he wrote the sermon and then somebody else read it out to you. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this. So, and this is a quote that I really love reading. Whenever, if ever I'm doing a, a wedding, this is a quote I really love to read. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in prison to his niece um, and to her fiancé as they were getting married. Marriage is more than your love for each other. It has a higher dignity and power, for, it's God's, for it is God's holy ordinance through which he wills to perpetuate the human race until the end of time. In your love, you see only your two selves in the world, but in your marriage, you are a link in the chain of the generations, which God causes to come and to pass away to his glory. In your love, you see only the heaven of your happiness. But by your marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession. But your marriage is something more than something personal. It's a status. It's an office. And what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying to his niece is, look, get married because you love one another. But being married is something bigger. You're demonstrating something to the world. And you're demonstrating something to the world about how Jesus loves his church. It's a model and it's a picture that even that is demonstrating something of God's goodness and his grace. And again, I think I mentioned that's why cohabiting is not a great idea. Because it's just you in your private world. And nobody else is involved in it. A few other things about marriage. Marriage is monogamous, i.e. one man and one woman. There is um, polygamy in the Bible, just so you know, but it doesn't condone it. It never says, oh, this is a good thing. It never says, this is, it just says, this is what happened at that time. But Jesus then affirmed that it, marriage is one man and one woman because he said, therefore, they are no longer two, but one. The bit, done. The, the, my last point is this. Husbands 
need to lay down their lives for their wives. And wives, guess what you need to do? What did you say? <laughs> Linda said, just take it. There you go. 31 years of that, AP. The Bible talks about wives submitting to their husbands. And in many churches and in many places, it's just it's become this, you cannot talk about it. Because it becomes impossible to talk about it. And yet, when you start saying, you know, wives, are you, are you happy to submit to an overbearing, dominant husband? No. That is the most unbiblical thing that you can think of. But if husbands, if we take seriously our role to lay down our lives for our wives, to seek their good above ours, to seek their flourishing above our flourishing, and then you ask the question, wives, are you willing to submit to a husband that is willing to lay down his life for you? It becomes yes. And you, what you end up is with two weaknesses, two people who are weak, in fact, leaning together in this to form something that is very, very strong. That's what an arch is. An arch is this beautiful architectural design that inherently is just two weaknesses leaning together. And you make something that is beautiful and strong. There is, um, there is so much more we could say about marriage. At some point, I'd really like to talk about being weddinged rather than getting married. And the culture today of everything being about the day and nothing about the life. And spending thousands and thousands on a day but nothing on, a, on investing after the day. But that's for another day. There's things that we can talk about, divorce and remarriage. And God just says, look, I'm here full of grace for you. <laughs> There's nothing that you can't dictate and say, this is how it is, but you need to understand what happened and how it works. But I feel now we just need to say, God, let your grace fall on our lives. Do not believe the lie that the devil would want you to believe. That marriage is dead. That marriage is anything you want it to be. And marriage is defined in the Bible. And he gives us a good pattern for it. What I want to do is to finish by just praying that as a, as a body of people, we would be more perceptive to see the lies of the enemy that he wants to speak into our lives. That we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Can I ask you just to stand with me? <clears throat> Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we, we recognise that we sometimes need to submit to the Bible to hear what you say about marriage, to honour it. Lord, whatever our circumstance, whatever our situation, we ask, Lord, that we would be the men and the women that allow 
the shape of scripture to define who we are and what we think. And we come against the lies of, of Satan that would want us to believe that just a little bit of pornography is okay. That marriage is irrelevant. That marriage can be defined in any way you want it to be. Who would want us to believe that it's not just male and female, but there are multitudes of other genders. God, bring us back to the plumb line of scripture, I pray. Bring us back to understanding the truth. And Lord, we pray that we confess when we have allowed the world and Satan to shape us more than the Bible. Forgive us, Lord, when we have been unconfident in all that you've called us to believe. And Lord, as we confess that, I pray too now for a wave of your Holy Spirit to flood on us that we would be able to carry something of your truth with grace and integrity and with love, or maybe even with humour. But we say, God, let your truth be shining from our lives, we pray. Father, thank you. Yeah. If there's anything that, that I have mentioned that has been difficult or has been challenging, I'd really value you asking me or coming and talking to me and maybe even Jill and myself, we can pray for you or, or get hold of me after the service. But we really value that sense of pressing on in what God has called us to be. Yeah, I wonder if the band could come back. Yeah. Yeah. Father, thank you. Yes, Lord. Yeah. And just as the band comes back, I want to... I feel like the Lord wants to just come and speak into, into our lives afresh. If we have a, a past and a history that we don't want people to know about, that we feel ashamed of it. I feel God wants to speak words of kindness and grace and love over you. As you come to him with humility and ask him to break into your life afresh, I feel that he's going to lift your eyes. He's going to lift your gaze. He's going to lift your gaze from the shame that, the, that Satan would want you to feel. And as you come humbly before the Lord, he's going to bring you his forgiveness and his joy. Father, we thank you. Yes, Lord. Father, thank you.